your Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Just a moment, we'll be reading uh, from this chapter, starting with verse number 1. Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment? And he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That is the greatest commandment. The question for you this morning is not... Are you involved in doing this or doing that? Uh, are you doing this religious activity or that religious activity? I don't care about that. My concern this morning is this. Do you love Jesus? I, I know it's easy, to, it's easy to say. We say it all the time. We sing the song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. But when we look at our text today, we might be rebuked by the Lord, by the Spirit of God. We may not love the Lord like we think we do. Let's stand this morning for the reading of the text uh, in Revelation chapter 2, starting with verse number 1. The Bible says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them that which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast first hast, have, have, hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us, and for this message to you, Lord. I just pray that you would help us all to examine our lives and, and analyze what it is that motivates us to do what we do. And you know, Are we really loving the Lord, or are we just going through the motions? And I pray, dear Lord, that you would just help us to see our life as you see, see it. Help us to, to recognize the uh, where we may have strayed and help us to, to turn around and follow you once again. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do and for your grace and your mercy for this passage of Scripture. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Near the end of the first century, the Apostle John was instructed to write a letter to the seven churches of Asia. They were churches just like this one. They sang songs, they, they received an offering. You could attend the services that they had. They were a local, visible church just like this one. John writes this letter to a church that is in an important city. 
Ephesus was not the largest city in the region, but it was the most important city in that region. In Ephesus, uh, in the city of Ephesus, there was this temple of Diana or Artemis. And, and it, was, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Today, there stands a, a column haphazardly constructed, reconstructed in the center of the temple site. Men would come from all over the Roman Empire and, and worship the, the goddess temple of Artemis. In this city, uh, they, these men would come and they would visit the temple prostitutes there that went on in that religion. In this city, idolatry and immorality were blended together. In this city, religion and every imaginable immoral act were entwined together. They were one and the same. And we look at the city like that and ask the question, how can the gospel accomplish anything in a city like this? How is it that you can go to a city like this where there's idolatry, where there's immorality, uh, and anyone could possibly be saved in a place like this? Let me tell you how it happened. It's because the gospel is the power of God into salvation. Would you look at the, uh, look at the cities of uh, San Francisco's of the world and, and also the, the Las Vegas's of the world and think that there's no hope for these places? You look at what's happening in Orlando and question whether we'll be able to make a difference in this city. There is hope in our city, and that hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul, armed with the gospel of Christ, went to the city of Ephesus. And he preached there. People were saved and baptized and, and, and a part of the church body there in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, we read of the work that Paul did in the city. People were getting saved. They were doing uh, away with their idols. They were burning the books of idolatry. Uh, the values of these books was counted as 50,000 pieces of silver. Then in chapter 20, you see, uh, in Acts chapter 20, you see that Paul passing through that area again, and he called for the elders uh, of the church at Ephesus to meet him in Miletus. He encouraged the elders from Ephesus, Ephesus, and they loved him. They followed him to the ship where he was going to leave and them and go to Jerusalem. And the Bible says they wept sore and fell on his neck and kissed him, sorrowing most uh, of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more. Also in our Bible, you have, we have an epistle that has been written to the Ephesians. And then there's this letter here that we read this morning. This church started out as a light in Ephesus. It was salt in Ephesus. It started out as an evangelistic uh, church, winning people to Christ, baptizing them, teaching them, doing the work of the Lord. And in the epistle, Paul encouraged them to keep doing what they were doing. Now we come to the second generation of believers in Ephesus. The spiritual baton has been passed. And something is wrong. Our Lord looks down on this church in Ephesus and sees that there is something wrong. How is it that something that started out so right could have so many problems? How is it that the church that was set, uh, so set on fire for the Lord 
who did what they did not for their own recognition, but because they loved the Lord. How do you go from such a wonderful beginning to just going through the motions? How does a church become complacent? How is it that we can come every time the doors are open? We come, when our, but our hearts are not with us. Our spirit of worship is not there. The church in Ephesus gives us some insight into how it happens. I want us to see three things from our text this morning. The first thing I want us to see is that our Lord spoke a word of commendation to this church. Notice what he said in verse number two. He says, I know thy works and thy labor. Please listen to me this morning. Jesus knows. He, we understand that. Jesus knows one of two things will happen when we realize that Jesus knows. He will encourage our heart or it's going to scare us to death. Jesus knows. He said, I know your works. I know your labor. He knows. What is going to be uh, said in this text is not what the pastor said about them. It wasn't what other people said about them. This is what the Lord said about them. And he says with eyes of fire, as in chapter 1, verse 14 says, he looks into their hearts and sees what's there. He's able to look beyond the outside. He's, he's able to see beyond the camouflage. He's able to see past everything that we do to look spiritual in front of others. He said, I know. And he knows everything. He said, I know your works and your labor. We use these words today to mean the same thing. Work and labor. If you've done one, then you've done the other. But that's not the meaning here. This word work is the ordinary name for work. It's what is required. It's what is expected. It's what we, you do because it's your job to do it. Then he uses the word labor. And, and it means to labor to the point of exhaustion. They had gone above and beyond the call of duty. They had done more than what was expected or required. And they labored to the point that they had given all that they could give. They had worked, but they had gone beyond work. They had labored. They gave all that they could. They labored tirelessly doing the work of the church. Here was a congregation, and you can imagine, in, in that ungodly, immoral city of Ephesus, you can imagine this body of believers on, on Wednesday night prayer meeting uh, pouring their hearts out to the Lord. You can imagine the pastor announcing that on Saturday morning at 8 we're going to gather together and pray. And, and then we're going to go down to the temple of Artemis and we're going to pass out gospel tracts. And we're going to engage in conversations about the gospel of Christ and and we're going to tell them how that their sins can be forgiven and how they can be saved. And we're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And they were working. And they were laboring. Then someone says, you know, I, I know someone who's hungry. And everybody says, let's get together. Let's cook them a meal and, and take it to them. 
They were working. They were laboring. And someone says, somebody is sick and we need to go over there and have prayer with them. So they set up a time and they go over there and they pray over the sick. They were working. They are laboring. And the Lord says, I see everything that you're doing. Even the giving a cup of cold water in my name. I see it all. Now included in that, the Lord, Lord see, sees everything that we are doing and everything that we're not doing. Here was a church that was active. It was a spiritual beehive, a spiritual activity. He said, I, I know thy work and thy labor. Then he said, I see your patience. This is, was a steadfast congregation. They were steadfast. They were patient. We don't know a lot about patience today. We go to the doctor for a two o'clock appointment. And we see the doctor at four. And we say, I didn't burn the building down. I'm patient. You didn't have a choice. Uh, if you wanted to see the doctor, you didn't have a choice. This word patience is not just to sit down and, and wait a long time. But the, but the idea is to endure with the right frame of mind and attitude. Sometimes we endure because we don't have an option. But this word patience means to endure in spite of, our, of opposition. To refuse to give up. And the Lord says, I see your patience. I, you are enduring. You're not giving up. You're not throwing in the towel. Here they're in the city of idolatry. A city of immorality. And they're faced with opposition everywhere. The Lord says, I see you are continuing on. You have refused to give up. You have refused to throw in the tower. You are enduring. So they were busily involved in the work of the Lord. And they were enduring in spite of opposition. You know, we, we, we know little about serving the Lord in the face of opposition. We, we don't know very much about that. Do you really think that you're suffering for Jesus? Not much. This first generation of Christians faced opposition. You read about it over here in Acts chapter 19. This opposition that Paul faced there uh, with the silversmiths. Uh, the silversmiths were angry because everyone was getting saved and they were uh, not buying their idols uh, to Artemis. And, and, and Lord said, in spite of everything you're dealing with, in spite of the, all the opposition, you still are remaining true. And you're still... Are, are very busy. You're involved in the work. Paul, uh, in another place, mentioned having to fight with beasts in Ephesus. Uh, they continued on in spite of opposition. So he sa says, I, I see your works I, and, and your labor and, refuse, and you refuse to give in. But I want you to show you a third thing about this church. This is what the Lord says. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And thou hast tried them which say that they are apostles and are not. They took seriously the words of Paul as he departed uh, the port at Miletus. Paul said in, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 29 says, For I know this, that after my departing, 
shall grievous wolves enter in among you and not sparing the flock. They're not gonna, going to look like a wolf. They're going to look, uh, they're going to have sheep's clothing. We talked about this while going to the Sermon on the Mount. They were wearing the clothes of a shepherd. They will sneak in uh, they're, 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 and devour the flock of God. Here was a church that was doctrinally sound. Uh, here was a church that would try you. During this time, there were traveling prophets and traveling apostles, and they would come by and they would say, I have got a message from God. The church would say, not so quick. And they would put that prophet under the scrutiny of the word of God. And if he didn't conform to the scriptures, they would say, not at this church at Ephesus, you're not going to speak. They were doctrinally sound. The church of the Lord Jesus today had better be doctrinally sound. All of the wolves in sheep's clothing have not died. They're still among us. There's still those that come by with some new doctrine that is foreign to the scriptures. And they come and infiltrate the church. And lead the church away from the scriptures. Every church must be doctrinally sound. Every church ought to be steadfast. Refusing to quit. Y'all know, but it's never been easy to serve the Lord. They're working. They're laboring. They were steadfast. They, they were sound doctrinally. You know, I wish that we could just stop right there and close our Bibles right there and, and say, you know, I really wish we'd be like the church at Ephesus. Let's be involved and engage in our culture with the gospel. Let's keep on keeping on in spite of the opposition. And let's stay true to the word of God. But the problem is, that's not where the Lord's message ends with the church at Ephesus. The second thing I want us to see in our message this morning is our God spoke a word of condemnation to this church. In verse number four, we find some of the saddest words in all of the Bible. But in spite of your doctrinal soundness, in spite of your service, in spite of all that you're doing, nevertheless, our Lord says with eyes of fire, he said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You do understand, don't you, that when the Lord is against you, you do not win? He said, I have somewhat against thee. He is right, and we are wrong. So he says, in spite of all that's going on, in spite of your labor, in spite of your doctrinal soundness, in spite of all of that, I have somewhat against thee. What is it? What is it that the Lord had against the church at Ephesus? They had so much going on. There was so much that was right. And he said, I have somewhat against thee. You have left your first love. Let me say something here. If you have left, uh, it, said, it says here, here that, you, uh, that they have left. He didn't say that they had lost. Sometimes this verse gets misquoted by saying that they had lost their first love. But that's not what the Bible says. It says they left it. Now listen. Let me tell you where they left it. They left it on the pew of the Baptist church. 
They left their love for Jesus in the midst of their activity. They left their love not because they were lazy. Not because they were being casual. They left their love while they were being involved. They were sharing the gospel. They were preaching. They were singing. They were giving. They were doing everything the church ought to do. And they were steadfast. And they were sound. And the Lord says that you're doing all of that, but you really don't love me. Listen, a right action can be ruined by the wrong attitude. Let me say it again. The right action, doing the right thing, can be ruined by a wrong attitude. Jesus said you left your first love. That original love. I wonder how that happens. How is it that Christians leave their first love? No amount of church activity will make you spiritual. Activity makes no one spiritual. Loving Jesus does. Spending time with the Lord does. Sometimes people get out of the will of God. They sin. They feel guilty. They say, preacher, I want a job in the church. Let me have a job. I need to do something. What you really need to do is confess your sin. And, and, and that will go a long way in your spiritual life. No one overcomes sin by getting busier. You don't get holier or godlier by getting more involved in doing the work of the church. We have this mistaken idea. If we, can't, if we can just get people involved, if we can just get them busy, that they will be somewhat more spiritual. That's not how it works. You're not more spiritual because you're involved. You can be involved every night of the week, but that's not what makes people spiritual. So the Lord said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You know, I don't think it happened deliberately. I don't think that they had planned to do it. But I think it was a gradual process. I think over the course of time, we began to get cold about the things of God. Over the course of time, our love begins to soften. Where once there was a fire in the church and now there is just an ember. How does it happen? Well, it might happen something like this. Remember when you were first saved? Remember? Remember that it felt like a great burden had been lifted off of us? The greatest thing I have felt is that feeling of guilt as being gone. The Holy Spirit produces that guilt, and after a person is saved, that guilt is gone. And I'm glad to know that I'm saved. And I love Jesus for saving me. And I know you do too. You wanted to read your Bible. You loved Jesus because He saved you. You loved Him because you were safe and secure in His hands. You loved Jesus because of what He did for you. You were hungry for the Word of God. You would pray fervent prayers. You could, could wait to get to your quiet place and spend time with the Lord. Then you got busy one day. Well, I can't do it today. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. And tomorrow you got busy and you didn't have time. The day turns into a week. And a week turns into a month. 
And a month turns into months. And months turns into years. And you're going for a year and, and, and you just kind of drifted away from the Lord. You're just not as close to the Lord as you used to be. You haven't drawn near to the Lord as the Bible says you're supposed to. And over the process of time, our love for Jesus begins to fade. We get caught up in things. We get involved. It's kind of it's kind of like the, the young couple going down the road. You remember the older cars and the they had a bench in the front seat. And the girl would ride right beside the boy. You know, it took both of them to drive the car. <laughs> then one day, the girl looks over at her husband. She's now sitting over against the window. And he's driving. And she says, do you, do you remember the time when we used to sit together while driving down the road? Why don't we do that anymore? And he says, well, I'm right where I've always been. I'm not the one who moved. What happened? What happened? I don't think people get married today and say, I'm going I'm to get married so that I can get divorced. That's not why people get married. But they begin to take each other for granted. They begin to assume a lot of stuff. And over the process of time, they begin to drift apart. They may not get a divorce, but their love is not what it used to be. They drift farther and farther apart. And then one day, they wake up and say, who is she? They don't even recognize each other. It's kind of like the relationship we have with the Lord. We don't ever want to be lost again. We don't ever, uh, we don't want to divorce Jesus. We... But because we have not spent time with Him, we haven't fellowshiped with Him, we realize that we are drifting from Him. And Jesus says, you've left your first love. Maybe it was not a deliberate thing, but over the process of time, their love grew cold and to the things of the Lord. Maybe that's you today. You're here because you know it's the right thing to do. You're really not here because you love the Lord. You have this desire to worship together with Him. You're here because this is Sunday and it's expected that we be here. People expect me to be in church on Sunday. Why are you not here? So Jesus says that you have left your first love. That love that was so fresh and exciting when you got saved, you've left that. But I've noticed all through the Bible that when Jesus uh, tells us what's wrong in our lives, he'll almost always tell us how to make it right. And this leads us to our last part this morning. Our Lord spoke a word of correction to this church. God wants you to get it right today. Maybe you're just caught up in, in the routine of serving the Lord. Maybe you're just doing things out of habit today. How about doing what you're doing, but doing it for the right, with the right heart, with the right motive? Look what he says in verse number five. How, how, here, how is, here's how we get it right. Revelation chapter two and verse five, it says three things. He says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Remember 
what it was like when you had sweet fellowship with the Lord. Remember what it was like when you walked with the Lord. Remember when you had sweet fellowship with the Lord. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Someone has said that our, our memories are what, are, are, are what lights the corners of our past and reminds us of uh, what once was. It can be again. You can be revived. You can have that first love again, that exciting love again, walking with the Lord, communing with the Lord. Do you remember what you had? Number two, he says, to repent. There's, a, that, there's an old-fashioned word that we need, we need to make new again. To repent. Repentance is not the same thing as confessing. We confess our sins. We should do that. But all, if all we're doing is confessing and not repenting, then others would question your confession. Repenting means you have a change of heart. It, that results in a change of action. Repentance is not just merely remorse. Repentance is not, well, I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. Repentance is when you come to the place when you're willing to say God is right. God's standard is right. And I'm the one that's wrong. By the grace of God and by the help of the Spirit of God, I will turn from my wicked ways. True repentance always, and I mean always, results in a change of behavior. Now, of what does he want them to repent? What is it that Jesus is saying to this church as he says repent? What do you want us to repent for? For not loving Jesus. Now watch what he says. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Or else I'll come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of its place. Jesus says, do what you're doing, but do them now because you love me. Do them now because you have the right motivation in your heart. It's easy for us to get caught up in being noticed by others for what we do. I'm going to do this because of what they might think if I'm not here. Our motives sometimes get out of sorts. Uh, it's and sinful. It's easy to get caught up in the habit of serving the Lord. Maybe the Lord is saying to you today, it may not be the action that you're doing, but the issue is you're doing it with the wrong heart and with the wrong motive. You don't love me, David said, with all of his heart for the Lord. As the heart or as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. For that deer, the water, is a matter of life and death. David seems to be saying to us that that is the way that I look at my relationship with the Lord. Seeking the Lord is a matter of life and death. Not convenience, not for comfort, but life and death. We sing the song sometimes. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the 
follies of sin I resign. With the Lord of the lampstands looking into your heart today. No one else. Just Jesus. With the Lord of the candlesticks looking with fiery eyes into your heart. Could you honestly say, my Jesus, I love thee. If you've never been saved, by this I mean you, you've never repented of your sin and accepted the salvation that Jesus offers to you. Why don't you do that today? You may be here this morning. You're busy. You're active. You're doing the things that has been put on your shoulders to do in the church. But the right motive is not there. We like the recognition. We like the pat on the back. If that wasn't there, we not, may not put as much energy into our job. What's happened? Our love for Jesus. At church at Ephesus, they were a wonderful church in the beginning. We're celebrating 70 years here at this church. You remember the times when the invitation was given, the altar was full? Remember the times when people would bow before the Lord and confess their sins and ask for help to get through the next week? We don't do that much anymore. You say, well, that's, we did that a long time ago. Do you think you can go so long without doing it again that you don't need help anymore? You've got this sin problem straightened out, conquered. You don't need to ask for the Lord's help any longer. Oh, let's not just think about the years of yesteryears, but let's rekindle that fire, that ember that may be left. Let's kindle it. Let's pour our heart out to the Lord and let's do what we do for the Lord because of our love for Him, because He saved us. He gave us His all for us. We just haphazardly serve Him out of duty, out of habit, and not with the right.